Good morning. That's catchy, isn't it? We're going to go to lunch going dum 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 dum. Yeah. Welcome. We're glad to see you here. It's good to be in God's house because God is here. The living God. When we gather together and worship his name, he inhabits the praise of his people. So thanks for coming and being part and experiencing the living God with us today. As we kick off this new series, Under Pressure, I want to talk about two opposing forces that are in your life and they're in my life. The two opposing forces are the winds of culture and the will of Christ. The winds of culture and the will of Christ. And what we try to do is try to mesh those together, right? We, we, we don't want to look weird or act goofy or be, uh, stick out from others in such a way that they think we're odd. So we kind of try to fit in and, and mesh in with other people around us. And yet we're also trying to follow Christ. And oftentimes that works, but there's other times where following Christ and the, what the culture says don't mesh. They conflict. They contradict each other. And in those moments when we can't mesh them together, then we feel a pressure. It's that pressure to conform to something other than what God intended us to be, uh, to conform to the winds of culture. I feel that pressure. I'm sure you feel the same pressure. And when I, when I do, and I give in to that, I wonder, what is the cost? What is the price that's being paid when I do? And I think, um, am I sacrificing the power of my faith? Are we sacrificing the power of our faith in order to be liked and like other people? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today, is not being conformed to those things. Those two opposing forces say completely different things and different issues. Uh, when it comes to sin, one side would say, ah, sin is, is an antedated word. That's not really a, a current concept. Sin isn't really sinful anymore that, um, that you can do what you want to do and it's okay. You just need to loosen up a little bit, have a little fun with life. And the other, the other side would say, sin is an offense to God. And it is harmful to you and to other people. And sin is to be avoided at all costs. One side would say, hey, uh, the, the best form of freedom is that when you and I get to do whatever we want to do all the time, that's freedom. The other side would say, no, that is being called what is called a slave to self in our sin nature. When we always seek what we want all the time. Those are two very different views of the same thing. Here's my question for myself. Here's my question I want to pose to you guys. Which of those two forces is the driving force in your life? Is it the will of God or is it what other people around us dictate to us? Because oftentimes they don't mesh up and line up like we'd like. We're going to talk in this series about being conformed to the world or being transformed by God. And there's two very distinct differences to that, right? Those are the two opposing forces. And sometimes, let's just be honest, we can be conforming to something and not realize it. And so that's what we're going to start with this morning is, as are we being conformed to the pattern of the world without even knowing it? I gonna give you a short story uh, to get that started. It's about a spider and a fly. And the spider made a beautiful web in the corner and it was cleaning up real pretty. And a fly comes by, and the spider says, hey, come join me in my web. I want you to sit here with me. And the, 
and the fly says, oh, no, no, no. There's no other flies there. I can't land there. It may be dangerous for me. I, I'm not going to go to that place. And about that time, the fly looks down and he sees a whole bunch of other flies on the floor. And they're having a ball. They're dancing around on this little brown piece of, of paper. I says, that's where I need to go. All the other flies are there. I'm heading to the other flies. And now in my version of the story, a yellow jacket comes up. Because yellow jackets are always wise and helpful. And this yellow jacket, it's a true story. And this yellow jacket comes up and says, no, 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 Mr. Fly. Stop. Hold on. Don't go there. That's called fly paper. You don't want to land with all the other flies. And the fly says this, listen, how many, that many flies can't be wrong. And so he lands there and he dies there with his friends. Guys, you know what? In an effort to, to fit in and be like others, we find ourselves in a mess and oftentimes get stuck and don't even realize it's happening to us. And so here, we're going to start with this. How do we recognize if, if the world and its culture and the world and its values and the world and its philosophies are actually conforming us into its image instead of the image of God in our lives? So let's look at this. There's two, uh, two principles I want to share with you today. They're all from Romans, the book of Romans, if you want to turn there. Verses will be on the screen. The first principle is this. We can recognize we're being transformed by exposure to God's truth exposure to God's truth. When we get exposed to God's word, it helps us recognize if we're being transformed. Look, look at Romans 7, 7 with me. It says this. Paul writes, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, listen, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would have not known what coveting really was if the law had not said you shall not covet. What it's saying is this word of God, the Bible, gives us uh, right and wrong from the perspective of God. And it is our compass for what is true and good and what is evil and bad. And at some point, and at that point, some people check out immediately and say, listen, I don't want to accept your faith. I don't want to accept this Bible as truth. And I don't want to accept your God because in doing so, then I have to go by what he says is right. And because they are not unwilling for anyone to tell them how they should live, they, they reject it in full. That's what some people do. But what are the other choices? If we don't take God's word... And God himself is the authority in our lives. What are our other choices? We have to look to society. We have to look to the common opinion of others or ourselves. And look, that is, that is putting way too much stock and trust in us, isn't it? It's way too much trust in that. If society passed a law that said, listen, you can't come to church on Sunday mornings anymore. You can't gather together and worship God together. Would we accept that as morally right and good? Or would we say, no, there's a higher standard by which we live by, and we're going to choose to follow that and not what the laws of society say? There's a conflict there, isn't it? No, we don't get to, we don't get to, to um, dictate the moral compass. True north, God's true north is north. No matter what anyone else says, it's pointing straight up. And if we say, no, it's over here or over here, and it's not in line with God, guess what? He's not wrong. We're wrong. He gets to hold the moral compass. 
And the thing about laws is we just forget them all the time, don't we? We need to be reminded of laws and truth. Uh, I've noticed that as I'm learning, uh, teaching my daughter to drive, and, we're, and I've got time to watch the road and, and cry and you know, pray. And, no, she's doing great. But um, I've noticed there's the, the speed limit signs are every so often, it's quite regular. We need to be reminded that this is the speed you need to refrain or hold to. How many times have you said, you've got to clean your room before you get to do X, Y, and Z, play your video games or blah, blah, blah. We have to tell our kids over and over to remind them of the laws that we've made. Sometimes it's choosing to forget and wanting to forget, right? See, we'd rather bend the rules or ignore the rules than live by them. It's easier that way. Let's take coveting because... Because Paul mentioned that in the passage here. Let's talk about coveting. Coveting is simply, I'm wanting something that someone else has. That's all coveting is. And you think, that doesn't sound so bad. That, that doesn't sound like it's really hurting anybody. Can I tell you that actually coveting is harmful? It's dangerous. Because coveting produces things in us like envy and dis- discord and uh, gossip, and slander, and anger, and disunity, and on and on I could go of what the things it produces. Simply by us coveting things, it produces in us. It's incredibly harmful. And every so often, this has been well documented, I need to be reminded that I love my Bonneville, my Pontiac Bonneville. You remember Pontiacs? They used to have them. And my mechanic in the back keeps telling me to get rid of my Bonneville, But I like my Bonneville, sometimes. Here's the deal. Depending on what I expose myself to is is, is whether I'm content with what I have and what I drive. Here's what I mean. When I go by a dealership of shiny new cars, Pontiac doesn't look so good. When, uh, when a friend of mine gets a brand new car and to show me all the features and like you can connect wirelessly to the radio, and I mean like that's pretty cool. Um, and I want a new car, and I become dissatisfied with what I have. But can I tell you something? The opposite is also true. When I get exposed to other things, it actually makes me grateful for what I have. And, and, and when people are riding their bikes on the road, not like for exercise, but when they're trying to get somewhere, maybe you've seen someone going to the store or going to work, and they're riding their bike to get to those places. I think, man, this car is pretty awesome. And I'm so thankful. I'm not peddling. And I become grateful for what God has given me. It's all about what I expose myself to. Let me give you another example. It was early May, and if you remember in the spring, it rained all the time. Remember? It's still raining all the time. And it was raining a lot, and I went to the doctor. I have one kidney, and he was checking my blood work, and he said, Hey, um, your blood work looks great, except you're a little low on vitamin D. He said, You ought to get out in the sun a little bit more. And I'm thinking, there hasn't been any sun. <laughs> Give me a break, man. And then he goes, yeah, if you'll take a vitamin D pill every day, it'll correct the problem. I said, well, can't I just get in the sun where more exposure to the sun will help me out? You guys, you know what? For our souls, for our souls, more exposure to the sun is what we need. More exposure to him and his truth, more exposure to the living God in our lives is really what we need. 
that this word would become a, a living word to us, a life-giving word to us, a life-changing word to us, that we need to hear our Heavenly Father say, these are the good things in life. Pursue them. This is what I have for you. This is the path I have. You walk in it. And then we also need to hear our Heavenly Father say, these are things you don't need. They're not good for you. They're not beneficial. And you stay away from them. And we hear that when we, when we exposed to the truth of God in our daily lives. And when we lay the law of God over our hearts, like coveting and all these other things in, in his word, and we get exposed because we realize that what God says and what we live doesn't always match up. And, and there's things in my life that shouldn't be there. And there are things that aren't in my life that should be there. And we get exposed when the word of God hits us in our heart and we realize, man, I'm not where I need to be. And that can be scary. You think, I don't want to go to God like that. I don't want to show all my faults and failures like that. Guess what? He already knows. He already knows. And so when we take the law of God and lay it over our lives and lay it over our hearts, it doesn't have to be a scary thing. It actually can be a freeing thing because you go, God, you know where I fall short. You know my failures, and yet you love me anyway, and you long for me to become more like you. And you're willing to help me do that. That's exposure to the truth of God. That's so, such a critical part of us not shifting away and, and losing sight of what God's best is for our lives. But there's another part to it. Not only do we need exposure to God's truth, we need to evaluate ourselves. We need to be honest in evaluating ourselves. Look what uh, Paul says in Romans 12.3. He says, for it is by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Do you realize that we are all expert evaluators? Man, we can pick up on other people's tendencies and moods and attitudes and flaws, and in an instant, we can pick them out. And we know when they're off their game. We love pointing that out and dissecting others. But rarely, if ever, do we take those same skills and turn them in on ourselves and ask God to say, God, show me who I am. Show me my flaws. Show me where I think I've got it together and I really don't. In exposing ourselves this truth with an open mind. He'll reveal blind spots in our character. He'll find deficiencies in our faith. He'll show us things he wants to shave off our personality. And, we'll, and some of the assumptions we think we had about ourselves, we'll realize we're not necessarily true. That takes guts, doesn't it? It takes humility. It takes faith. Did you see what he said? It says, in accordance with the faith God has distributed you. This isn't an easy thing. You can't do this without the help of God to say, God, you show me where I'm deficient. And by your grace, you show me how I can be more like you. It takes us to some hard questions that we have to wrestle with, some hurts from our past, some habits that we're in, some brokenness in our lives.
So if you don't think you're out of shape, you're not terribly motivated to get fit. Am I right? Am I right? (laughs) If you don't think you have an addiction, you're not going to be terribly motivated to get help. And if you don't think that you've got flaws that God wants to go to work on in your life, then you're not going to be terribly motivated to get near him and seek him that he might do a work in you to change you to be more in the image of Christ. To the greater your faith, the more honest you are with yourself. That's what Paul said here. He said, in accordance with the measure of your faith, you can be honest about yourself. So it takes greater and greater faith for God to reveal more and more about the brokenness that you have in your life. And Paul, who, who when he first started writing in the New Testament, said things like he was an apostle and, and sort of braggadocious in his writing. But by the end of his writing, he called himself the chief of sinners. Because as his faith grew, he realized more and more about himself, that he wasn't what he thought he was, that God could go to work on him. And the more he saw, the more God could do in his life and was able to remove this log out of his own eye and not just see the specks in others, but to see them where? In himself. That's what God wants to do in me, and that's what God wants to do in you. When we take the word of God and expose ourselves to that, and at the same time allow ourselves to honestly evaluate, God, where am I? Where do I think I am that I'm really not? I love Paul's honesty in the book of Romans. He says things like this, Romans 7, 15. He says, I do not understand what I do. You ever felt that way? Why did I just blow up on that person? Why am I so mad about this? Why is this scaring me? Why am I worrying so much? God, why, why is this bothering me more than it should? Why did I lash out at that person? Man, if we're honest, we could say exactly like Paul, man, I don't even understand what I do. Why do I behave the way? Why do I say the things I say? Man, I got busted last night. My son's like, Dad, you don't have to say what you say. I was like, dang, he's right. He's right. Yeah, it takes courage. It takes faith to wrestle with those things. Paul also said this, not only do I not understand what I do, then in verse 24 of that chapter, he says, what a wretched man I am. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul. I mean, he wrote most of our New Testament, started all these churches. He's more godly than anyone we've ever met. The Apostle Paul was such a a, a hero of the faith you and I could look up to and just hope one day to approximate in our life. This is Paul. And he says, what a wretched man I am. Because he saw his flaws. He saw himself for who he really was. He was honest with himself. And the reason he was so godly is because he was willing to evaluate himself and let the word of God and the spirit of God work on him and change him where he saw his deficiencies. That's why he was so godly. Let me just stop right there. Are we willing to do that? 
Are we willing to open ourselves up to the living God and say, God, I'm not where you want me to be. So by your grace and your help, with your word as my God and your spirit convicting me and me opening myself and saying, God, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to change, just lay your, your standards before me and help me to get where you want me to be. It's a powerful combination. The word of God exposure to his truth with an open heart, being willing to say, God, where am I? It's a powerful combination that will keep us from being conformed to the pattern of this world. But let's talk about how we overcome being conformed. How do we overcome being conformed? It's really in line with that. But look at Romans 12 too. This is really our foundational passage for the entire series. Maybe you can memorize part or all of this passage. It's so clear when we read it right here. It says, do not conform to the pattern of, of this world. The world is trying to take us and mold us into its image. He'll take us and squish us to think like it does, to behave like it does, to talk like it does, to look just like everybody else. It'll flatten us out into the mold and image that it wants us to have, to look just like them. Do not be conformed to the pattern or the mold of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to, this is a great promise, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, is good, pleasing, and perfect will. I can't tell you how many people said, I wish I knew the will of God. You and I know the will of God as you and I refuse to be conformed and allow God to transform us in our thinking. That's what the scripture says. Now I want you to understand where Paul wrote this and when Paul wrote this. First century Rome, um, was the epicenter of the entire world. One out of four people in that day was lived under Roman rule. The Romans ruled uh, culturally, militarily, politically, socially, any other way you can think about it. They were the big dog, and everything that they said goes. And here's Paul writing from Rome. In fact, the pressure to conform to the Roman way of thinking and the Roman religion and the Roman lifestyle was so powerful, we still to today say, when in Rome, what? Do as the Romans do. It's incredibly, they're just squishing people. You have to behave a certain way. Because don't you and I feel the same pressure? That when people in our family or people in our jobs or people in our work press in on us and want us to behave a certain way that makes them feel better about the way they behave, or we watch movies or TV shows or listen to music or watch YouTube channels or watch video games, like I cover it all? And all those things are pressing a value system and a morality and a philosophy that may or may not be countercultural to the, to the very will of God. And so we, have to t- we can't take what all those things say, what all those people say, and not run them through the filter of our faith. We can't, we can't do that. We have to run it through the filter of our faith. Is it in line with the pattern of the world, or is it in line with the, the renewing, transforming truth of God? That's the question we ask. 
So that same pressure is alive in your life and in mine. When people say, this is how you ought to act. This is what you ought to say. This is how we talk around here. Uh, this is acceptable. This is okay. Even though the word might say something else, it will press us into the shape and the mold that it wants to have for us. When God says something totally different, he says, I've got a shape for you. I've got a, I've had you in mind. I, I made something beautiful. I made, a, I made a poem out of you. I made you in an image that I want you to reflect me uh, through your life. And it doesn't look like the image of something else. It doesn't look like the image the world is pressing into. It looks like what I want to do with you. I want to create something beautiful in your life. And if you let my word and my truth and, and my spirit do a go to work in your, I'll make something beautiful out of you. I wish I could make something beautiful. <laughs> I made a blob. But it doesn't look anything like what the world is trying to press us into looks completely different. See, if we put in our brains what everyone else puts in their brains, are we not going to look just like them? We are. So I love what Paul says. When Paul says, you, you get transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, we are transformed as we replace our thoughts with God's thoughts. We are transformed when we replace our thoughts with God's thoughts. It's the renewing of our minds where we're, we're told to intentionally replace thinking that's pulling me away from God, thinking that is contra- contradictory to the will of God. And when those thoughts are, are doing havoc in my brain, that I will replace those thoughts with God thoughts. And so we said the word of God shows us where we need uh, to be conformed. And then it also uh, teaches us Instead of thinking this thing, you think this other thing. And every time the the world has a lie or a half-truth that it throws at you and is getting you off course, there is a counter-truth that will bring you back into the will of God if you will replace whatever you're hearing with what God has to say every single time. It's the renewing of our mind. Let's take coveting again. Paul mentioned it in in chapter 7. So... This idea of covening, um, what are my options? If I really like seeing, if I really want another car, I mean, do I, do I punch into my Google Maps and try to avoid every dealership on my route to wherever I'm going to make sure I don't drive by any shiny new cars? Do I, do I cut off all my friends that get nice cars and I can't hang out with them? When I'm driving down the road and there's an awesome Camaro coming the other way, I mean, do I just close my eyes? Jesus, take the wheel. (laughs) That's probably not the right thing to do. It's not the right thing to do. It's that way I replace the thoughts that I would be thinking with God thoughts. Instead of, ooh, I wish I had that. I can remember things like James chapter 1 that says, every good and perfect gift is from above. And God, you have given me such a good thing. I have so many good things in my life. God, I'm so thankful for this car. You've given, you know what's better for me than I do. And you've given this car to me. Thank you. It's replacing the thoughts of coveting and wanting something else with uh, uh, 1 Timothy 6. 6. For godliness with contentment is great gain. Man, I can be content, I can be thankful, I can be happy in what you have given me. And so we control what we think. 
That's easier said than done, isn't it? Is your brain like my brain? Does your brain go a million different directions? And you get all these different thoughts, and you know they're not really in line with the will of God, and you, you think things about people, or you think things that you want, or think things that just you know is not godly. And you and I have to keep them in check. It reminds me when you go to walk your dog, and you get, anybody got a puppy, like a little one? And, and you, for all, everything you got, you can't keep the dog near you. It wants to run off every different direction. That's our thought life. It wants to take off in all these different directions. And yet God says the leash is the word of God and we need to make it obey, that our thoughts can actually obey the truth of God. And this is how it works. When you start thinking those things, you say, no, 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 heal. You stay here. This is the path. This is the truth. This is the right way to think. And regardless of what I feel and regardless of what I think and regardless of what the world says, this is the truth that I'm living by. And you say, heal. And you drag your thoughts, kicking and streaming, in line with the truth of God. And you replace those thoughts with God's thoughts. Story about an elderly man, a boy, and a donkey. Donkey. Shrek, right? Uh, They felt this pressure too. So the man was leading the donkey and the boy was behind and they were on a travel for many miles and they stopped at the first village. And the people of the first village said, man, you're a fool. Why are you walking in front of this donkey? You ought to be riding your donkey. The guy's like, oh, they're probably right. So he climbs up on the donkey and they keep traveling and they get to the next city and the people said, man, you are so cruel that this little boy would be walking and you're riding the donkey. He's like, I'm not probably right. So he gets down off the donkey, puts the kid on the donkey and they keep traveling. And they get to the next town and the people said, man, you're, what are you doing? You have a donkey, why aren't you riding it? And he's like, I don't know. And so he gets on the donkey, they're both riding the donkey. And they get to the next town, and the people in that town say, you are so cruel to that donkey. That's a load that's too big for him. Last scene, that guy was carrying the donkey to the next village. (laughs) You know what? Some of us feel that way. We're trying to please others, and there's all this pressure to live how other people tell us we ought to live. And you feel like there's a weight of a donkey on your back. Can I tell you that today is the day to stop trying to please others, stop trying to live according to the pattern of this world, and to live for an audience of one, that there's really only one that you and I need to live to please, that he's the only one's opinion that truly matters in life, as if our heavenly Father says, well done, I am pleased with you. Good job. You're in my will. You're doing what pleases me. Let go of trying to please others and live to please the living God. Let him love you. Let him lead you. Let him forgive you. Let him change you. God is willing and able to do all those things. I know that he loves you. We put a cross in the back of the room today. And I've been watching, looking at it the whole time. I know that he loves you because there was a cross that he bore on your, in, your, uh, in your place. He was willingly and gladly willing to take your sin and my sin and go to a, a Roman cross and pay the price for our sins that you and I might be forgiven and have life in him. I know that he loves you because he did that for you. He did that for you. 
That's how much God loves you. And he has the power to forgive every stain, every blemish, every problem, every sin in our life. That's what he paid for on the cross is every one of those things for you and for me. And he, he's waiting for you to invite him into your life. If you've never said yes to Jesus Christ and known his leadership and his love and his forgiveness and his ability to change you from the inside out, Jesus is knocking on your heart's door saying, please let me in. I want you to let me in that I might love you and lead you and change you and forgive you forever. So maybe that's your decision today, to let him in your life. But as you think about that decision, it's the greatest decision you could ever make. Don't let him in and put him in the passenger seat. When Jesus Christ comes into a life, there's only one seat that's worthy of him, and that's the driver's seat. When you and I say yes to Jesus Christ, he wants to come in as the leader and the Lord of your life. He wants to take place in the driver's seat that he can help you become all that God created you to be. Maybe that's your decision today. I'm going to ask if we'll pray together and bow our heads and respond to God's truth today. When we think about what Jesus did on a cross, there was no better way for him to say, I love you, I love you, I love you. He didn't say sin wasn't sin. He didn't say that you had a problem with God. When he went to the cross, he said, yes, you have a problem. The living God wants to know you, but you have a sin debt that must be paid. And so Jesus went to that cross to pay it for you. It's the only way to be forgiven. It's the only way to have a relationship with God. It's the only way to know him today is asking Jesus Christ to come into your life, forgive your sins, and lead you from this moment forward. If that's your desire today, the Spirit of God is saying, let me in. Let me forgive you. I love you so much. Let me in. I want to lead you on a path that is so much better than the path you can imagine today. And I want you to pray right now and say, Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness. So would you forgive me of my sins? thank you for loving me like you did. I I believe you died and you rose from the dead that I can have life. And as I invite you in, I don't want you to have a second place. I want you to have the prominence in my life. I want to follow you from this day forward. Would you you lead me? I want to follow you. That's your prayer this morning. We're going to celebrate that. In a moment, we're going to sing a song and we're going to invite you to to head to the back of that room where there's a cross and you just, you just thank God for him forgiving you and leading you and loving you and saving you today. We want to celebrate that with you. And Lord, I know there's others here who, who know you but have recognized through this, this morning that, that the, the culture, the, the, the society, the people we live with have had an influence in their life that is counter to what you want for them. And God, they want to come home. They want to come back to you. They want, they want you to take preeminence in their life. And they don't want to be conformed anymore. They want you to have a transforming power and work in their life. And if that's you, your father is saying, come back. 
come back to me. I'll change you from the inside out. I'll transform you. And maybe while we, while we sing, you, you go back to the cross and you just say, Dad, I'm coming home. Father, I'm coming back to you. These other things that have gotten in the way, they're not as important. I, I'm rededicating myself to you. And maybe there's others here that they feel like there's that weight on their back. The pressure to perform, the pressure to please others, the pressure to conform into whatever image this world's saying. And they just need to take all that pain and all that worry and all that um, pressure in their life and they need to give it to you this morning. I invite you also. If that's you, just go to the back room where the cross is and you take everything that's weighing you down, everything that's a burden in your heart today and you give it to the living God and you leave it with him this morning. God, would you work among your people as we sing and as we pray and as we respond in Jesus' name, amen.